welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. As you may be picked up from the readings in this part of our series on finding true rest, we're going to be talking about the Sabbath. And as I was thinking and preparing for this, this sermon, I was thinking about um, an old movie that some of you know, most have probably heard of. Uh, it's a pretty old movie. It came out whenever I was born called Chariots of Fire. Uh, may not know the movie. You've probably seen other movies or shows mimic the famous like, like slow motion running. See, that's from Chariots of Fire. Um, it's actually about, it's a true story about two British runners. To my dismay, whenever I was a kid, uh, it was not about Roman wars or battles or anything like that whenever I first saw Chariots of Fire because the name made me think that that was what it was, but it's actually about Olympic sprinters. It's a true story. It, it, it kind of starts around 1919 in England. You had a... British runner in Cambridge named Harold Abrams. And he was the best runner that England had. Uh, He was one of the fastest men that they had seen. But then came in another man, a, a, a Scottish missionary kid named Eric Liddell. And in the years and the competitions leading up to the Olympics, Liddell, to the dismay of Abrams, beat Abrams in the 100. And so the story is kind of seeing and following both men leading up to the 1924 Olympics in Paris, where you had Harold Abrams obsessed with gaining that little bit of speed he needed so that he could beat Eric Liddell. And the the, the kind of heart of the story, which is interesting because it's one of the only movies that I could think of that is really centered, the, the, the apex is about attention around Sabbath. Because what happened is the 100, which was Liddell's top competition, was going to happen on a Sunday in the Paris Olympics. And because of Liddell's convictions, he decided not to run the 100-meter dash in the Olympics. To the dismay and anger of royalty, the British Olympic Committee, and many within his nation, He still opted not to run for the gold medal because it was on a Sunday. 
It was on his Sabbath day. When I think about that movie, um, it's kind of odd. I mean, it, it, especially in our current cultural context, I, I think that that has to grate a little bit odd to most of us. It does to me. That because it's a Sunday and that's supposed to be your Sabbath, you won't run a hundred meters for an Olympic gold. And it's strange because that doesn't fit our cultural moment. And now there's maybe some Christian traditions that, that hold Sabbath in that manner still today. But as a whole, it's very odd. Odd like it's odd to read about a bunch of religious leaders ticked off because people were gleaning some grain from a field. But I think it's, it's odd in, in many ways to us because we come from a culture that has been cultivated over many years where work and productivity is tied to our sense of value and identity. I mean, we're actually a very strange culture in, in, in the span of history in the way that we often find our identity. Now, every culture, because we're all falling, are scrambling for, for significance, acceptance, and identity through some form. But in other previous cultures, it was a lot of times in your family name and bringing honor to your family name or, or land and owning land or your, your place within the nation state. But in America, it's often tied to what you do. Your career, what you accomplish. I mean, once you become an adult, you kind of just learn that if you go to a cocktail hour and you meet people that you don't know, you ask their name, and then what do you ask after that? What do you do? And instinctively, we know what that question means. We know that that means, like, what is your job? I always thought it'd be interesting because it is a vague question, but we just know it means, what's your job? It, to just respond, like, I, I fly fish and hunt. I'm a band and cross-country dad. I like to read obscure books on philosophy or listen to podcasts talking about early 90s bands. Right? What else do you want to know about what I do? But see, the, the thing is, we know that we ask that because we need to know what you do. Because somehow, even if we're not trying to, we're, we're situating the person. Understanding who they are. And we have a culture in society, especially in America, all you have to do is quickly look up America and vacation. <laughs> compared to the rest of the developed world. We receive the least in the developed world, and we don't even take all the vacation days that we receive. Because we're driven by these things. And I think within the Christian world that shapes our approach to Sabbath. 
And it's an interesting, nuanced way that we often approach it. I especially see it a lot within minister circles. Where we acknowledge that Sabbath is something that is important. It's something good. That we should be taking Sabbath. And then we, we, we kind of boldly confess that I'm not very good at taking Sabbath. And what I've noticed that it's almost sometimes celebrated. I mean, we say it like, like, like I, I know it's a bad thing. I should be taking a Sabbath. But also, you say it because then it shows how important and significant the work that we are doing, how needed we are, how hard we're working. Whereas, I know I should be taking a Sabbath, but I just can't. That's not always the case, but at least when you get in pastor circles... It's kind of the vibe that I get. See, now, if you were in the first century during the time of our gospel reading, you wouldn't have a backhanded brag about how you just can't keep Sabbath because you're just so busy. No, if you couldn't keep Sabbath in the first century, you would lie about it and make sure everybody knows that from sundown till sundown, because that's how they kept time of days in the first century. But from sundown to sundown, you never worked. And you were always able to keep Sabbath. Even if you weren't, you would lie about it. Because Sabbath was so important. And it was a marker. But the thing is, is even though our cultural approach to the idea of Sabbath and the first century cultural approach in the Hebrew world to Sabbath were about as far apart as one could think, they're actually very similar. Similar in the sense that I think both are driven by a similar misconception of what Sabbath is all about. And similar fallen motivations of the heart. So for the sixth part in our series of finding true rest. I want to take some time to look at the practice of keeping a Sabbath. First by looking at the gospel lesson to understand the issue that Jesus challenges. And then look at scripture to understand why the Sabbath was instituted. What Sabbath does for us today. And then finish with just a few more practical tips for taking Sabbath. So first, the gospel lesson. We have Jesus being confronted by the Pharisees. And in Mark 2, 23 through 24, it says, One Sabbath, he, which was Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So what's going on here? Because this is not culturally normal. What we would expect is maybe a story as they were walking along a field and then they went and they were plucking some grain and eating it. And then somebody came out and said, what are you doing? This is private property. Get off my property. You don't have a right to eat my grain. But that wasn't the issue. They're saying that he was leading his disciples to break the Sabbath, and they were disgusted by it. This comes from uh, the, 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 what's called the halakha. 
which is a collection of teachings or laws for the Jewish people. They're laws that were not, they were understood that they were not the same as God's law from Torah. But the halacha was, were, were laws that were created to enable the Jewish people to make sure that they were being faithful to Torah, to God's law. And if you look at the halakha, there's a very extensive portion devoted specifically to Sabbath keeping. There's actually 39 prohibited activities during the Sabbath. And then in, within each of those 39s, there's lengthy descriptions of what that entails. You're not allowed to carry a heavy load on the Sabbath in public. You're allowed to carry a heavy load in your home, but only a certain distance. You may tie and untie knots as long as the knot that you're untying or tying is not a permanent knot. And even if it's in your own backyard, you are not allowed to collect fruit into a pile even if that fruit is rotting on the ground. And one of the 39 prohibitions is reaping or harvesting. One is not allowed to reap or harvest anything from their garden or from a grain field during the Sabbath. Now, it seems a little bit extreme and kind of ridiculous at least to many of our ears. But what they were trying to do is to just build a fence around one of the central commands of God within Scripture. That the people would be sure to keep, it, keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. And in some ways, all of this extensive description, these 39 um, prohibitions that are broken down did in many ways signify to the people the significance and importance of the Sabbath. And if you look at beyond the halakha, there was multiple debates and arguments and so much going around what entailed working and not working and how one would be able to faithfully keep the Sabbath. And part of that, I think, is because the Jewish people recognize that humanity has an aversion to the idea of Sabbath. In our natural state, we're going to find end-arounds. Ways to get things done that need to get done during Sabbath. But see, the problem is is that the the Jewish people began making their ability to adhere to certain laws that mark them as Jews. The Sabbath. You also see in Scripture a focus upon circumcision. Dietary laws. These were the distinctives that marked them as Jews, and they focused on keeping those laws as what granted them their identity, their inclusion, and their insignificance as Jewish people. So ironically, keeping the Sabbath became a primary work done to prove oneself to God and to gain the approval of others. They worked really, really hard on making sure that they didn't work on the Sabbath. Because their identity, their acceptance, their significance was tied to their ability to keep the Sabbath. 
And Jesus gives an interesting response to the Pharisees. I'm going to jump over the, the whole story of David and eating the consecrated bread. Uh, we'll probably get at some point this passage again in the lectionary, and I'll touch on it. But I want to jump over it to Mark 2.27. It says, And he, which is Jesus, said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. If you notice in Jesus' response, Jesus didn't respond by saying, now that I am here, the Sabbath no longer applies. That it's no longer valid or necessary. And he doesn't even say that they are putting too much emphasis on the Sabbath. But he responds by making a statement that infers that they did not understand the reason for the Sabbath. That the Sabbath was not some pietistic command that they needed to keep to please God, but was given to them as a gift for man because man needed it. So they started to treat the gift like an obligation. Something to appease and please God. So this gets into the question of why the Sabbath? Why did God establish it? I mean, first, if we go back to the more official establishment of the Sabbath that was found in our Old Testament reading in Deuteronomy, we see that the Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments. This reading comes from the Ten Commandments, which would actually help understand why they treated it so legalistically. Treated it like a legal law because it was part of the Ten Commandments. But if you notice, at the end of this commandment on keeping the Sabbath, in Deuteronomy 5.15, God says, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand, and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. He's giving the reason why in its formation. Therefore, they're commanded to keep the Sabbath because in keeping the Sabbath, they were reminded of their deliverance, their redemption from slavery. That their formation as a people was an act by God's grace. And this, this, this command that was given, this, what we had just read, was received by the Jews right after they had been delivered from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. This was given to slaves. I'm not an expert on ancient slavery practices but I'm pretty sure slaves didn't get a Sabbath. And they were in a context in which all they remembered growing up from childhood is that they were slaves. And they were slaves in Egypt. And in Egypt, Pharaoh claimed to be a god and was to be worshipped and treated as a god. And so they grew up and their god had them and owned them. They were his people because of what they could produce for him. 
The value of the Jews to Pharaoh were the bricks that they could make. And so then God gives them this critical practice and wants to make sure they keep it because he wanted to remind them over and over and over again that Yahweh is nothing like Pharaoh. That their value to him, their redemption, him making them his people is not because he needed slave labor to build him temples and to get his work done. As a reminder to a people that all they knew was slavery, that because of God's gracious redemption, that they were free people. But see, the Sabbath also points even further back, long before the Exodus, and draws us back to the rhythms that are ingrained within creation. Our Hebrew reading, our reading from Hebrews, makes that connection And if you go back to Genesis, you have this rhythm, this refrain. The first day, God created, and it was good. Second day, third day. And then it says that on the seventh day, God rested. Which is kind of odd. God rested. Did it mean that he was exhausted? Like he just needed a few days to get away to recoup so he could get back to things. And a lot of times think, well, maybe it was just to create a model. But when you go back to the ancient Mesopotamian cultures and look at ancient Egyptian cultures, this idea of rest, which is which the Hebrew word is Shabbat, that God is spoken of doing, is, is tied to the imagery that they always spoke of with regard to their gods. So your gods were constantly fighting back chaos, fighting against each other, trying to conquer land, trying to take territory, trying to do different things. But if a god was victorious, it would say, they would say that he would rest. And that doesn't mean that he's laying down on the couch or a lazy boy taking a nap. But it meant that the god was sitting upon their throne and sovereign over the works that they had done. When a god rested, the god rested upon the throne, signifying that they are sovereign. And so in the midst of an ancient world where all the different gods that surrounded them that they had known were constantly battling chaos, trying to make headway, rarely resting upon their throne, they're told that their God, the one true God, Yahweh, from the very beginning of space-time, sits in Shabbat. Seated from the beginning upon his throne, which means that he is sovereign over everything. See, because we and the people of Israel could take Sabbath, rest from our work, because God sits upon his throne in Shabbat, sovereign over all things. Sabbath is a reminded, reminder of the created order. God gave it to his people to remind them that as creatures that need rest, they can rest because God rests upon his throne as sovereign king over his creation. So why Sabbath? It reminds us and reorients God's people around his sovereignty and redemption. 
and their position as people redeemed by a God who does not value them for their production. And it reminds them that they are a people created to rest in God's rest, his sovereign rule over all creation. So we have why the Sabbath now, what the Sabbath does, especially what does the Sabbath do for us today after the resurrection of Christ. First, like Israel, it reminds us that God is not like Pharaoh. Our value, our identity, our worth is not rooted in what we can accomplish or do, but what God has done on our behalf to deliver us. And especially in our cultural moment today, it is such an important countercultural, subversive type of act that combats the cultural pressure to define ourselves by our work and our achievements. Going back to the chariots of fire, I, I love, there's certain quotes that are spoken over and over again, and, and they're powerful. But you had that Harold Abrams, driven giving up everything he possibly could so he could gain that little bit of speed so he could get gold and beat Eric Liddell. And whenever he was preparing for the 100-meter dash, he has this quote right before his Olympic run. He says, I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide, with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. Sadly, we can all fall into that same trap. And that type of motivation can make you quite successful. Abrams won gold in the 100 meter. And in our culture, you'll probably get praised for it. Your company and your boss will love you. And sadly, even in the church, you will be praised for that type of drivenness. The problem is, you might receive praise, but it's going to kill you from the inside. Contrast that with Eric Liddell, who was criticized and ridiculed. He said he had royalty that was contacting him, ticked off at him because he was not being faithful to his country to run. He said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And he said, God made countries and God makes kings and the rules by which they govern. And those rules say that the Sabbath is his. And I, for one, intend to keep it that way. See, keeping Sabbath you might face criticism, might hinder career aspirations. But when our identity, our value, and our worth is not tied up in what we do or what we produce or what we accomplish, it doesn't matter that much. And so when we do work, we can do so feeling God's pleasure. 
not driven by the haunting fear that our existence will be in vain. It also reorients us to our created rhythm. God does not need rest, but is depicted as resting on the seventh day after seeing that all that he created is good. He sits sovereign over all of creation, a creation that we are a part of. And as part of that creation, we need rest because as image bearers, we we reflect God, but we are not God. But we can rest because he is seated on his throne as sovereign. And this idea of rhythm is extremely important because as part of creation, when you look at creation, rhythms are ingrained within every facet of creation. I love looking at the stuff with like the James Webb telescope and all the discoveries are seen. But even going into the stars and galaxies, they pulsate. A rhythm. Kind of like the rhythm of every living creature with a beating heart. We have rhythms of seasons, day and night. It's ingrained within all of creation. And when you think of this created order of rhythm, rhythm exists because it has an on and an off. If it's constantly on, if it's like, like maybe there's a little bit off in there, but that ain't like a good rhythm. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like Animal from Muppets. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's chaotic and it's not going to get you in like the top 10 drummers on, on, on Rolling Stones magazine. You know what I mean? Like because it's not a real rhythm. But on the other hand, if, if, if it's like, and there's no on, like that ain't a rhythm either. Like, it's equally not good to be a 40-year-old dude still living in your mom's basement, waking up at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and then playing video games and never doing anything. God created us for rhythm. But the other thing is, is, is I don't think the rhythm of life because of the nature of life is always like a, a metronome. Is that the right thing that goes like, am I right? Yes, okay. It's not like a metronome. I think a lot of ways life ends up being more kind of like a good jazz beat. Right? Because like a good jazz beat, is, you got the, mm, mm, but then every song is like, boom. Like, and you're going to have some of those ebbs and flows. There's going to be seasons in which in, in the midst of life, you might be starting a new job. You might be caring for a sick parent. You might have certain things happening and then the rhythm picks up a little bit. But here's what's important is that that rhythm, that little jazz roll doesn't turn into a death metal beat. And just keep on perpetually. That there might be that little roll, but then it has to drop back again to the nice beat. So we need rhythm. And finally, keeping a Sabbath is a very tangible, a very real act of pressing into Christ and his gospel. I didn't read all of Jesus' response to the Pharisees. In, if I can find the gospel reading, um, in verse 28, after he said that the Sabbath was made for man, 
He says in 28, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What he's saying is that he is the one who created Sabbath and he is the one to whom the Sabbath points, which is what the Hebrew author was getting to. That the Sabbath pointed to an even greater rest that we long for, and that rest is found when we are united in Christ. If you remember our first sermon from this series, when Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, it is in many ways another way of saying, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Because what Sabbath points to is fulfilled in Jesus. If you think about it, Sabbath is rooted in God sitting in his throne on the seventh day, sovereign over his creation. And as we take a Sabbath rest, we are resting in the claim that the one through whom all things were made is seated at the right hand of the Father, looking upon what he did on the cross, saying, it is finished. It is very good. Sabbath was commanded as a reminder of God's deliverance of Israel from the bondage of slavery. And as we take Sabbath now, we do so remembering the greater Passover that occurred, in which God passed over our sins because we were marked by the blood of the true Lamb, Christ. Delivered not only from external rules and rulers, but also sin and death that have, pla- <clears throat> have placed us in shackles that no man can escape. Sabbath is a reminder that we do not run to justify ourselves. Our identity, value, acceptance, redemption is not tied to what we can do or produce. And as we take Sabbath, we are reminded of that very reality and are reminded that instead our value and identity is tied to what Jesus did and the salvation he produced upon the cross. So finally, just wanted to give three very practical tips and ways to think about keeping Sabbath. These will be quick. First, is when we do keep Sabbath, accomplish nothing. Accomplish nothing that needs to be done. That's one of the things whenever preparing for the sermon, I read through the Sabbath instructions in the Halakha. There was a theme that I thought was valuable is what they were trying to get at is that Sabbath should not be used as an opportunity to get the work done at home that you didn't have time to do. Or accomplish the things that we needed to get done. Second is do something avocational, but it's also life-giving. What I mean by that is, if you like to read a book, find space to read a book. But if you're a teacher, that book should not be a book that deals with a subject or a class that you're teaching. If you like to fish, go fish. But if your career is a fisherman, then don't fish. And finally, spend time in worship, contemplation, and prayer. Ideally, at the beginning of the Sabbath day. Because this is ultimately reorienting us back to a gospel reality of reminding ourselves of who we are in our place before our redeeming God. One of the things I love that is usually the best Sabbath times I've had is I love love getting to use Sabbath time to go hunting. 
And I, have, I got an app for my phone, and it, it is an app for uh, the Anglican offices of morning prayer, afternoon prayer, evening prayer, and Compline. And what it does is, is it already lists all of the readings and the prayers and stuff for the day. So you just pull it up. And, and I found for myself is that, like that those are like the best Sabbath days that I ever have, is getting up super early, throwing on my camo, climbing up a tree, opening up my phone, and doing the morning office of prayer. And, and, and the ideal day would be that as I finished prayer, a 10-point buck would walk right in front of my stand. But spend time in worship, contemplating your place before a God that doesn't need you to accomplish anything because he's not like Pharaoh. But as we do this, remember that the Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for Sabbath. The thing is, is given the opportunity to run for a gold medal in the Olympics, you might do so on a Sunday. I'm pretty sure I would. But even if that is true, I think we need to give the Sabbath the weight it deserves. Not as an obligation, another work you must excel at to prove yourself or gain acceptance, but because it's a precious gift, a necessary gift, to uproot us from the pressures that drive us in our fallen world and reroot us in the greatest of all gifts, our redemption and restoration to our sovereign God through the gospel of grace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. Mercy, my God, is the thing. Joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue